0: So Money episode two seventy nine. Tara Siegel Bernard. You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Everyone, welcome back to So Money. Happy Thursday. Today's guest is currently a personal finance reporter for the New York Times. If you read the New York Times and you happen to peruse the financial section, personal finance, you know her byline, you know her work. Tara Siegel-Bernard has been with the publication since 2008. Prior to that, she spent time as a deputy managing editor at FyLife.com, which is now a defunct personal finance website. She also served as a news editor at CNBC and spent a decade at Dow Jones, where she wrote a a weekly personal finance column. She was also a regular contributor to the Wall Street Journal's small business and health cost columns at the start of her career. And before getting involved in writing about personal finance, Tara focused on the credit card and banking industries. Lots of takeaways from our conversation, including the personal finance stories she loves pursuing at the New York Times and why. The financial story she wrote that impacted her life probably the most and seeking a raise as a woman what to say and how to say it. Here is Tara Siegel-Bernard. Tara Siegel-Bernard, welcome to So Money. My gosh, I'm such an admirer of your work. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm also a
1: admirer of your work. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's so kind.
0: And I know we're we're neighbors in Brooklyn, so looking forward to seeing you in person one day soon. And yes. Yeah. I mean, I have to say Tara, I I I'm a New York Times addict, and of course, my favorite my favorite sections are real estate and the business section, and specifically personal finance on Thursdays, and I love the weekend pieces. Your, your title there is personal finance reporter for the New York Times, and if there's anybody who wants to get into personal finance writing, I mean, you're really at the peak. You're at the ideal place. Was this always something you had your eye on as a journalist to not only work at the Times, but specifically to cover personal finance, and why?
1: Well... I wouldn't say that I had my eye on personal finance, I think as a young journalist, you know, in my early 20s, I think that the Times was always a, a dream, which seemed like a, you know, unattainable dream. Um, but as far as personal finance goes, my first job um, out of school was working for Dow Jones as a reporting assistant, they published the Wall Street Journal. Um, so I didn't think that business was going to be a long term move for me, it was just going to be something to get my feet wet, you know, learn specific skill about a spe- in a specific area but as it turns out you know money makes the world go round <laughs> and, and it kind of touches on everything so after um i got my feet wet you know doing writing about you know stocks and earnings reports and sort of kind of corporate business news um i moved to the the banking beat and i covered credit the credit card industry the banking industry and, you know, how they made money and, and that sort of thing. But after doing that for a while, I was really aching for, to kind of flip that around and, and, you know, write for the people who were consuming these, you know, the services that these banks provided and, and how they struggled with money and, and, and that it's, it was basically trying to flip that around and, and, um, and write about personal finance because it is so personal.
0: Yes. And we'll talk about your personal, personal finance. But (laughs) as a fellow writer, I'm, I'm curious, how does the pitching process work at the Times? How do you come up with your stories? What's the approval process like? And then I have to imagine that being at the Times, it's there is a lot of responsibility, but at the same time, you know, I think it's easier to get people to talk to you, right? Because you have the times as your platform. Yeah. I know like when I was a reporter for Money Magazine, it was so much easier to get people on the phone than if I was just writing an article for my blog. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. So I'm just curious if you walk us through the mechanics of, you know, you know, getting a story to print and and what are the stories right now that the newsroom is it's all a buzz over.
1: Well, in terms of, you know, getting a story to print, um, I feel really lucky in my beat in that I can pretty much write about anything that I want as long as it touches on money. Um, And, you know, it's a substantial enough idea. Um, So, you know, and that and money just touches so many aspects of our lives and our financial lives just get increasingly complicated. It seems every year there are more decisions to make, more products to evaluate. It seems that we're, you know, we buy so many more things or, 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 need to buy so many more things. than you know, when we were growing up, um, just with cell phone packages and, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but in terms of coming up with ideas, um, I read a lot of research. I, I talk with a lot of people. I hear from a lot of people, you know, financial planners, consumers, readers who are writing in with specific issues. Um, and a lot of people that actually comment on our stories a lot of i've found that you know more ideas are are filtering in that way conversations with you know people on social media um that's a a, a big and increasing component um and then you basically I come up with a list. Um, I have <laughs> my personal processes, I have a, an ideas folder in my email. So as I get pitches from people, if I if something kind of catches my eye and I can't like have time to respond to that person right away, I'll put it in my little ideas folder. And um, I'll literally take a day to kind of organize my ideas um, and you know just getting out and talking to people. Um, some of the best ideas come come that way as well.
0: Some of my favorite pieces that you've written are around women and money, <clears throat> specifically. Mm. You know, it's, and it's such it's. I actually went through the archives of the stories that you've written, and I noticed that you back in 2010 you were writing about how women need to negotiate, ask for more, and so you were kind of ahead of the curve on that because like there was that study that came out that said you know for women you have to ask for the for more money, but it's also how you ask. You know, yes, that, that has a lot to do with it, and still even today. That's a big part of the education and conversation around the gender wage gap. What are some of the the stories that you love to write most, and and that really perhaps a story that changed your life in some ways?
1: Yeah, well, um, I get I get most excited about the stories that give an underdog or some other marginalized group a voice um, or some clarity on an issue, and like you said, helping women negotiate a raise that. I was really interested in that research. I really ate it up because I think I am, you know, just a, a the typical woman. It's not something that we like to do. At least I don't personally um, like to, you know, talk about how great I am and, and and advocate for myself. And it turns out the research shows and that there's a reason why we feel that way. We we may be, according to the research, picking up on the subtle clues that that both men and women don't like when women kind of put themselves out there and negotiate for themselves and, and are not, are stepping outside of the prescribed gender role that society has, you know, ascribed to us. So it's, um, that is, was really, really fascinating. Um, and also when I came back from maternity leave, I had a lot of trouble with that. And I had, I had one of the most generous policies out there. Um, The Times gave us, they didn't pay us for the entire amount. Um, But we had, I took six months off, which is a luxury in this country. Um, But I still, I don't know if my hormones were still raging or just, you know, first time parent. It (laughs) (laughs) It was so hard to leave him with strangers. And he was not, you know, I don't know if he felt my energy, but... My little guy was not happy <laughs> about leaving his mama as much as um, his mama yeah. wasn't happy about leaving him. So when I got back, the first column I wrote was how I, I was thinking about, my God, imagine I had to do this after six or eight weeks. I had the luxury of six months, you know, we got to do all the things that, you know, I got to play house for that long and it was, you know, that's a whole other type of work, you know, staying up with a baby, as you know. Um, but it, but to think about going back after 6 or 8 weeks i just you know i felt physically sick for for people in that situation and so the first column i wrote when i got back to work was just how awful <laughs> the uh, maternity leave policies were parental leave overall in this country and um and then i i created a little list on our then blog of you know kind of pointing out who was doing a good job and who wasn't so it was that was really um, satisfying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a nice way to uh, figure your things out too. Your own financial life, you know, like this podcast has been for me. You know, I interview people to teach others, but really also to teach myself. It's a great. Yeah. It's a great resource. Right. Yeah. It's a great.
1: You know you're constantly learning something new every day and either for yourself or for your readers. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's invigorating.
0: Who is the times audience? Like who are you writing for? There is some criticism out there. I I've read that, you know, the times kind of takes this very, it's not, for everyone that, that their articles are mm-hmm. very much, you know, even as I live in Brooklyn, I feel as though it's very much writing to me, you know, uh, mm-hmm. kind of, right. um, upper middle class white woman in Brooklyn, even though I'm Middle Eastern, but I'm technically white. <laughs> Is there a consciousness about making sure that articles are appealing to not just New Yorkers, but the nation? And when it comes to personal finance,
1: when it comes to personal finance. Um, I think so. I think, and I think we're getting better at that, at learning what our readers um, want in terms of what sort of conversations they want to have with us. And um, I know that there are a lot of smart people working on that behind the scenes um, because we're growing with the digital world. Um, our, our subscriber base does tend to skew a little bit um, higher income and older. Um, you know I write a lot of retirement stories for for that demographic um but i I don't know. I feel like my stories end up in so many different hands once they're online and and you know on Facebook, they kind of travel so i i mean I personally try to to write for a broader audience um but you know when it comes down to like coming up with examples I, it does kind of You know, so when I'm writing about the specific home purchase, how much did that home cost? So that everybody can kind of take away something, you know, from that specific example. But, you know, most of the stuff, even if you have like, you know, a five hundred thousand dollar sample portfolio um, or a two million dollar one or something, you know, far far less. um, A lot of the. A lot of the takeaways are on the same. Um, and we have somebody that writes specifically for the highest of high net worth folks. Um, I don't focus on that group. I kind of think of myself as writing for the, the more mass market, but it definitely, you know, it is the New York Times, but it is a national paper. Um, so I try to, I try to cover, you know, everyone as as best I can <laughs>
0: yes and you do a really great job and actually Paul Sullivan I believe that's who you're referencing yes
1: exactly he's been
0: on the show Ron Lieber's been on the show so I'm so happy now Tara you're on the show because we needed to come full circle. <laughs> we needed to complete, complete the ring. And I know Carl Richards yes. has been on the show too. So oh, we, we have yes. all of the New York Times financial, personal financial uh, contributors officially on So Money. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, I'd love to pick your brain and, and figure out, discover what's your, what's your money mantra, Tara? I mean, I, I imagine there's so many philosophies that you, uh, that you have, based on all the work and experiences that you've had writing about personal finance and experiencing it, what's your number sure. one money mantra?
1: It's hard to boil it down to one, but I would say you know simplicity is key. Um, and you know, saying that out loud, you know, <laughs> could put you and I out of a job. <laughs> but it's, you know, a lot of <laughs> but a lot of the takeaways are are very simple, you know, spend less than you earn, keep it simple, simple index funds, um, focus on what you control on what you can control your expensive, think your expenses, think hard about, you know, how you can earn a little more without sacrificing your happiness or pushing your stress levels to <laughs> to some unreasonable point, you know, it's and then done. That's it. You know, it's just really, really keep it simple. If, it, if there's a product that you don't understand, well, then you probably shouldn't be buying it. And, you know, I p- try to apply all of those lessons to my own um, my own financial life.
0: Have you found as you've been covering a lot of these newer products that are out in the marketplace, you know, on the one hand, it's great to have choices, but on the other hand, it's quite a, kind of a burden to have to choose now what to, what to do, whether it's like picking a financial advisor online or in person or mm. where, where to put your money. Do you have a rule of thumb as far as how to – Kind of, I mean, there's obviously if it's too complicated, walk away. But are there other methods, other um, met- metrics that you use to decide whether or not something is worth exploring further or just kind of, you know, let it go?
1: Yeah. I mean, if I get a like a pitch in my, my inbox for like some leveraged ETF fund, I don't even pay attention to it to be honest honest, when I get pitches for actively managed funds, I don't really pay much attention <laughs> to those either. Um, there are some more complicated products that could potentially, and they're not really com- that complicated, um, but they sound complicated annuity, immediate annuities for older people. Um, uh, that can make sense in some situations. Um, and I try to break down some of those. I just did a story on variable annuities. Oh, that was,
0: <laughs> took a lot of, Oh, uh, I'm of, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone's got to do it,
1: I guess. Yeah, he's got to do it. I held my nose and I <laughs> I did it. And um and it was really helpful cuz it kind of helped me better understand um you know so many older people get in trouble with variable annuities and they don't make sense for a lot of people. Um so when I when it's a when it's a product that people are buying and they're getting into trouble those are those are the complicated products that I'd like to explore and break down. But when it comes to the other stuff um you know I really I'm I'm a big Lever in in index funds. Um, Insurance products require explaining. I just got a a question from a colleague who's going to be a new mom, and she's like, "I don't know the difference between whole insurance or term insurance. Can you, you know, just break this down for me?" And so I suggested, you know, term insurance and a a financial planner, um, you know, one who doesn't get paid based on what they're selling you, of course. Um, But yeah, it's. Just in terms of figuring out what to write about, um, I do try to, you know, avoid even giving any attention to the products that I don't really think deserve attention and that many, you know, reputable financial planners would probably agree with. hmm
0: Absolutely. Well, I don't really know much about your upbringing now, Tara. I know that you've been living in New York for quite some time. Did you you grow up here? And um, more specifically, what was your financial uh, perspective growing up, experiences, uh, that maybe there was one money memory that you have that has now as an adult, Mm -hmm. as a woman, really shaped you?
1: Yeah. Well, I would say I was pretty – Fortunate growing up in that we we always had everything that we needed. It was, uh, you know, a financially stable household, you know. Um, but we were by no means wealthy. Um, but it was, you know, very solidly middle class, comfortable upbringing. So I never really worried about money as a child, um, which I think would have made things, my outlook, a lot different. Um, but I do remember... That my mother always saved for things. Um she didn't go and buy whatever she wanted. Like if it was a bigger purchase, like a new piece of furniture or something like that. I remember she was always like stashing money away in her closet or <laughs> or, you know, just <laughs> there wasn't a wasn't a lot of immediate gratification. So if it was a bigger thing, she kind of saved for it. And I think that um kind of shaped my um discipline. I think that was a good life lesson. Um I also felt like I had to wait for things growing up. You know, we weren't just handed whatever we asked for, um, you know, extracurricular activities and that sort of thing, piano lessons and dance lessons, all that was paid for. But um, but if it was something extra, I remember I had to wait for a Cabbage Patch doll. Did you have one of those? <laughs> oh, I got
0: the counterfeit Cabbage Patch doll one year. There, were, it, it was sold out and my mom got me like the Schmabbage Patch doll. Like it was <laughs> – And I immediately was like, no, 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 no. This is not going to work, mom. Um, But she tried. I mean, you got to give her credit for trying. It was sold out. What was she supposed to do?
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. My mom wasn't the type that was about to wait on the long line the toy store at four a m in the morning. um so uh.
0: and then came, I remember like so there was a there was a uh, a shortage one Christmas, and then following that, they just overproduced, and they were I got like six cabbage patch dolls like right, next yeah. year because because I guess I you know I, there was some some sore feelings about that, but um, and then I yeah. didn't really appreciate them once I got them because I had so many. It was kind of a weird. Yeah. Thanks for, (laughs) thanks for taking me down memory lane with the Cabbage Pastel. I didn't realize what kind of a scar it had on me. Right.
1: As I thought about this stuff, that's that memory always kind of pops in my mind that I had to wait so long for, I think that was a good thing. Um, (laughs) um, I always had a job too, growing up. I remember uh, working in my parents' business. They owned um, a jewelry store, like a kind of small town jewelry store. So I always worked there in my teens and Um, and growing up even before then. Um, and so I guess the fact that my father was an entrepreneur also kind of shaped my outlook on money. Um, there were ups and downs is something that, you know, could affect your mood. (laughs) Um, but it also kind of felt like he, was in control of his destiny to some degree um because you know there's naturally business is good it's, it ebbs and it flows um but i guess that I, I remember growing up thinking oh i'd like to be my own boss too but clearly that didn't work out <laughs> uh, well, it or at least still not yet out, yeah.
0: yeah 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 not yet
1: um but it was something that i think i i thought would be um more empowering just the kind of the fear that you're um your job is kind of always on the line especially in media um is something i think a lot of other a lot of journalists worry about um these days um but yeah but i always had a job i worked for my parents um and there were a couple of summers where i where i was like past year in like a grocery type store and i remember maybe because it wasn't you know just working for my parents and um i remember that i i really loved those paydays cuz they paid you like every two weeks, and I would leave there with this lot of cash in my hand. And that was so empower- empowering as a young person. <laughs> I don't – um they probably oh, yeah. paid me in singles. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So it seemed like a lot more than it really was. But um, I- I'm sure you've come across these studies too, which finds that uh, there's a correlation between uh, young – People who have jobs who then go on to become entrepreneurs or very financially successful. There's something about establishing that work ethic, establishing that hunger to and that yearning to kind of be, um, right, just accountable. Really, yeah. You know? and I think yeah. that is a great foundation for later on in life. Um, so it's not a coincidence that they go on to be successful.
1: Yeah. you yeah, know I I totally agree. Yes. I've I've read that as well. It's I I think it's so important to work. As a young person, um, it's, you know, a lot of people are are worried about, you know, the finding the best, you know, volunteer work somewhere, you know, in the middle of some impoverished country, (laughs) a lot of privileged children go Mm -hmm. on to do those types of things, but really, um, and I honest day's work, um, there are so many lessons that you can pull away with that. From that, you know, working with a boss, managing different personalities, mm-hmm. um, you know, what do you do with that money when you when you come home with it? I'm trying to remember what I did with it. Um, I had my own phone line in my room. Whoa, that a, yeah, that was oh, a really
0: big word. deal. <laughs> <laughs> you were probably a- really popular. <laughs> 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 I'm just basing your entire high school. Persona on that one fact that you had the old, you had your phone line you were you were it you were like you were so money back in high school. Um, what's been your biggest failure, Tara? I have to imagine uh, you've done some things that you regret financially. Oh
1: yeah, definitely. Um, there, I mean, I think a lot of people you probably hear this a lot. Um, I know you've heard this a lot, but in my twenties, I definitely racked up credit card debt you know, I started life on my own in a dingy studio in the West village and and it had to be the West village. So that was probably part of the problem. Um, but it was a, you know, a rent stabilized, um, apartment. It was affordable for me at the time on my, you know, first job out of college, first real apartment. Um, you know, but it was, but oh gosh, it was, it was not a good apartment.
0: <laughs> was your bathroom <laughs> in your kitchen? <laughs> you no, know, I looked at kitchen? those. Yeah. Those were mostly on Bleecker Street. I was on West Thames.
1: <laughs> um, those, I, I saw those apartments when I was looking. No, I, I actually had a studio and it did have a separate bathroom, but the windows all looked out to brick walls.
0: (laughs) So it was really so cliche, um, but you know what? It's so true here in New York. Yes, it was.
1: It was so, so cliche, but it was, but it was mine. I think, um, I think living by myself was a really good investment. Um, that was, you know, a great experience, but I, you know, I had to buy all these things on my own. I, I really did it on my own. I bought, you know, um, a couch of, uh, I think I needed, I'm just trying to think, how did I rack up that debt? You know, just starter things for an apartment. Um, a com- I remember buying a laptop at that time. I remember that. A friend of mine was going had a recording gig in Paris, and I had never been there, so I just went. Why and not? Yeah, really, you know, why not? C'est la vie. <laughs>
0: yes. Exactly. Charge it up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, isn't that so okay. true about credit card debt that you often don't even know how it, you amassed the debt? I mean, you can identify a few big purchases, but for the most part, it's the small things that you forget about. Yeah. That's kind of one of the dangers of using plastic in the first place: is that there's not really that attachment to what you're to what, to and and feeling of
1: kind of the touch and feel yeah
0: i know it's like the gravity of it
1: those studies where you're um giving away physical cash paying for it And cash is more painful than it mm-hmm. is just handing over a piece of plastic or or even worse your iphone um so, yeah, so I, I, all of that added up. I, you know, went to shopping when I went, and, when I got to Paris. Um, it wasn't completely out of control. <laughs> Hopefully the dollar was strong, I guess. Yeah. It... <laughs> you know, it was at that time. I'm pretty sure that it was. Um, but, you know, so after that, I, I played the whole balance transfer game. I was really oh. fastidious about that mm-hmm. and trying to not get into trouble. Um, those are my first personal finance lessons. I paid every bill on time. And it was, you know, it was a lot for me at the time. It was you know, probably a third of my salary. I don't know, wow. ten thousand dollars in debt. um but but that was several years, I'd say. and then it took several more years to to pay it down. But you know, I did it on my own um and realized once it got to a certain point that I just had to get rid of it and I had to, you know, come up with a plan and i and I did.
0: um probably being a financial writer was added pressure.
1: Yeah, to get yes, your act yeah. together. It was for me. <laughs> it was like this, you
0: know, like you know, this just voice in my head that was like, "You better not have any debt, because what if, right. you, What if you get outed?"
1: Yeah, that exactly. What if somebody <laughs> finds out. Um, but thankfully, it was it was early enough, and I was able to get rid of it early enough. I'd also love to rewind the clock and um, <laughs> buy there was an. I remember there was an apartment. Um. This was, I guess, the late 90s. Um, my There was an apartment for sale on on the same street that I lived on. And it was a large studio. And it cost, guess how much? It cost $100,000. Oh, oh,
0: <laughs> what what year was this?
1: This was like in the late 90s. And oh. my mom was like, why don't you, you know, you should really think oh about gosh. just doing it. You know, it's it, you can do it. And I just, I had this credit card debt. Coming up with a down payment just seemed like an impossible thing to do, and I, in retrospect, it was just like that was the worst decision ever. I, you know, I could have figured out a way um, to make that happen. Now you
0: would have been able to sell it for like seven hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Crazy was yeah. Uh, My that's my big
1: my big financial regret.
0: And (laughs) well, it happens to the best of us. I had Margaret Cho on the podcast earlier this year and she rec- she said too, like she really missed out on some big real estate opportunities. She just wasn't, you know, she just, there was a lot of uncertainty and I have to give you credit yeah. for that. I mean, you don't, like you just said earlier, you don't want to go into something, if it sounds too good to be true, you start to get skeptical. You know, oh, only $100,000. Yeah. I mean, in right. prime location, what, you know, are, what are the pipes look like? You know, maybe there's yeah. like some scary remodeling that's ahead of you. Um, right. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, <laughs> it been a, but it now been. <laughs> I, you, you are a homeowner, right? You live in Brooklyn.
1: No, yes. No, but it's like something else. I do live in Brooklyn, not a homeowner. Um, we've been, you know, squirreling money away for years and years, which is great. And we have a really great down payment. Um, but, this being new york everything just rises at such an astronomical level that um and we're picky that's also our problem we have an amazing rental on a in a this prime location and we've been here for a really long time longer than all the wall streeters who have, you know moved in around us <laughs> and um it's so it, it it feels like if we were to buy in, in our current neighborhood it would be a big downgrade um to what we're living in currently. So we're av- we're evaluating, you know, what, sh- what our, next, our next step should be. And we've been evaluating that next step for about a decade, <laughs> but we've stayed the same.
0: Spoken like a true we New did, Yorker though, but- you know, I have friends like that too. It's like every time I meet them for dinner, it's like, okay, what's happening? Are you moving out of the city? Are you moving? Are you staying in the city? And it's just this like 10 years go by and um, yeah. And it's so boring. I'm so tired of talking about it, but it's, it's just a typical New
1: York thing. And we actually bid on a place last week and we ultimately, um, we ultimately retracted our bid because we, we decided it was just not um, something that uh, we wanted to do for that particular place. But, but yeah, we're back. We're back trying to figure it out. It's just really, mm. it's real. It's also now that we have, a, you know, have saved money for a down payment, it's hard to part with that money. You know, yes. I mean, it's like it, there's something that's like a, gives you a really solid sense of security and it's it will be in your equity. You know, it, it's it's not completely going away, but it's going to change its form. <laughs> right, and, right. Um, it's you not know, exactly some,
0: liquid. Yeah. <gasps> and the other thing I think about New York real estate, which makes it exciting, but also tough when you're in the market to buy is that you have to make cr- relatively quick decisions, you know, and yeah. a home is a huge purchase. The properties here go by, go, go quickly. Like, oh, we just bought the apartment next to ours. And now we've, we're in the middle of renovation, but we literally put a bid in the day after it came on the market and when we did it wasn't like it was ours it, we had to compete with another bidder so yeah. uh, and this is just a little one bedroom in brooklyn um, i can't yeah. even imagine when you get to uh, you know bigger properties that are more competitive so and you have to be really 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 sure that you yeah. that you want to yeah. live there and it's a it's a big decision so yeah, yeah. It's, it's skewed by the fact
1: that um you know there will be 15 other bidders. I remember uh, there was a summer where there were like 15 other bidders whenever we would put a bid in, and a lot of them were all cash. So it just feels right. like, whoa, am I participating? Is this, is this, you know, some sort of bubble? So it's hard to distinguish between all that. It's, yeah, yeah that's it's a huge make you decision. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk success, Tara. What's a so money moment that you've experienced that you're really proud of? Uh, you know, it just was something that you can really pat yourself on the back for.
1: Let's see. Um there are a couple of things well one um one specific thing kind of going back to the negotiation topic. Um I remember a few jobs ago I was sitting next to a guy similar age to me and- you know, so, so similar experience level, and he was getting ready to move on to his next job, and we sat really close to each other. So I like, went over here some of his phone conversations, but we were also friends. It wasn't. It was just you know,
0: you weren't spying <laughs> on stopping. it. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs>
1: um, and I remember him saying, "Yeah, so I'm going to ask for this, and I'm going to ask for a signing bonus," and I, and I was like, "Wait, what? A signing bonus?" You could you could ask for that? And he's like, Well, yeah, I've done it with all of my jobs. I'm like, You have? In media? Not you know, not in not on Wall Street. This is, you know, these dying media companies that, you know, are are That's so, what they uh,
0: tell us anyway. Yeah. That these <laughs> dying media companies don't have any money. Well, someone's like, getting paid.
1: Yeah, exactly. So um so I just kind of bookmarked that and um Noted. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so for my next job i um i somehow worked it into the conversation and i think it was an email conversation so it made it a lot easier but i negotiated a bonus and i was like wow score that was you know i just had to ask and maybe if i asked some other place or it was a different job maybe maybe i wouldn't have been successful but but negotiating that did work um also negotiating more vacation time because time to me is just as important as money, if not more so, <laughs> it is more. Um, so, you know, negotiating that, um, you know, you don't have to accept the two weeks that they that they give you. Um, everything is negotiable. But yeah, but that was a win. That was just, um, that felt really good. Um,
0: That's a huge win. I love that, that you did it over email too, partially, that you used a man to kind of anchor... man's experience to anchor what you, you know, what you should then what you went on then to ask for. And what was the reaction? Did they balk at you? Did they threaten to not give you the job? I'm guessing no. No,
1: no. It was like, okay, sure. Um, so is this, can you know, maybe what I asked, maybe they shaved, you know, some money off of it and we met in the middle and and it was, and it was fine. Um, but that actually, the fact that you said I anchored with a man brings up something that I didn't even realize until now. A lot of the research shows that, that women are, are peer groups or tend to be uh, other women. And, um, and so we might, you know, if we get outside of our group, maybe talk to people that are you know, older, that have more experience, that are of a, you know, a different gender. It's, it's, um, it's helpful because you get different perspectives and, and maybe I wouldn't have, you know, learned that from, you know, a close girlfriend. Yes. Um, so it's, it's just, it's interesting.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I remember growing up, my dad was the one who always encouraged me to negotiate. And my hey. mother, my mother was actually like, well, you know, don't push it, <laughs> right? <laughs> because she, because and to her to her point, she had had bad experiences. But this was also like in the eighties, which was a different era for wi- working women. That you know, it was it, you know, I think gender biases were a lot more um, prevalent, prevalent, in and in your face, overt, and yeah, overt. And so when she, when my dad would encourage her to ask for a raise, and she would, they didn't give her the job. So Mm. I think Mm. that she came to me kind of with a more concerned perspective. And my dad was just really like, go for it, go for it, go for it. And I'm glad that I had at least that, you know, I was cautious, but I still, I, I, you know, I I took, I took the chance. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah. So let's talk habits, Tara. What's your number one money habit that helps you keep your money where it needs to be helps you make healthier decisions around money?
1: Um, I would say automation for sure. Um, I, I'm sitting here in my, at my home office desk and I have, (laughs) because we have, um, our, this kind of ongoing real estate conversation i have a list in front of me that i just kind of check that says ongoing savings because i because i'm a personal finance nerd and i have like this whole list <laughs> of you know my my 401k you know rollover iras 529 um, and i have all of that money going there i kind of wanted to i recently wanted to take tabs like am i saving enough can i can i push it a little bit further um because i do have all of that on auto- autopilot i have um uh you know money coming from a checking account where our paychecks get deposited and have that shuttled every month to these very neatly organized little sub accounts um that it used to be ing but capital 1 uh, has is now ing and they let you kind of set up all these accounts and you can have like your down payment savings in one um daycare expense in another um you know emergency expenses so i have all these little vacation i have all these little things set up and all that money just kind of goes there every month and that really helps me feel like i'm in control because even if i spend too much and um then i know i know because there's you know then i'll have to go into my savings which i rarely do but if it's like a big um, if there's some big expense that month, then I then I I know that I'm spending too much. It's kind of like budgeting in, in reverse when you have you know right. you, you take savings first, and I don't have to budget because, as we know, we're just not wired to deprive ourselves. No. Or, um, one, you know,
0: it's one of the things I live by too. Is like take care of the boring stuff first. Yep. Because then whatever is left, you can with a clear conscience spend it freely on whatever you want. Yes, and exactly. Without that guilt or that concern that you're dipping into more important jars. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't work out, but usually it does.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I recently went to a financial planner for the first time. Oh, yes. For, um, I guess it's now two summers ago. It feels recent. Um, but after my, my son was born, he's three now. Um, I kind of had this, like, felt a sense of urgency. Like, okay, I need to know that I'm saving enough. I need to know that I needed a second opinion. Um, and even though i write about all this stuff um you know full time i just really felt like i wanted to, i wanted somebody else um to make sure to give me the the okay and and it was a great experience i mean it was it it kind of i kind of wanted to go there and get all the answers even though i knew intellectually i wouldn't she i but i left there knowing like okay we're we in okay shape we're doing you know we're doing what we need to do um but she but your financial planner can't make the hard decisions for you like those are still your own right. <laughs> to make but so she can tell
0: you if you're making any glaring mistakes
1: yes yes and exactly sometimes
0: that's worth the money as well
1: yeah yeah i think it really was worth money um we went to – and that's so important to find the right type of financial planner because they could do more damage than help if you don't find you know, somebody that's charging you for their advice and um, doesn't have anything to sell you. That's something – a recurring theme in my, in my writing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. I did something with my financial planner at the beginning of the year and she's wonderful. But I started to get a little more concerned about the fees within the portfolio as far mm-hmm. as like our, our funds and what we were investing in. And I did – make her change some things around because I just didn't understand why, for example, we had to pay a higher expense ratio for certain things. Like I just mm. wanted to do index funds and she's like, well, right. you know, I think we should do some emerging um, market funds. Uh And in which case there's a little bit more of a higher management fee. And so I, I kind of like, okay, I gave her the pass on that, but we did change some things around mm. and probably saved ourselves thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. Because those decimals do add up, you know the point oh three versus the point three. Yeah, Oh absolutely, a huge difference. Yeah, okay, Tara, almost wrapped here. I want to let you get back to work and do the important work that you do, Uh, but I cannot let you go without finishing some sentences for me. These so many Mad Libs I call them. Starting with, if I won the lottery tomorrow, which I know you don't advocate playing the lottery, but if if you did somehow. encounter a large sum of money, a hundred million dollars. The first thing I would do is, um, is that after taxes? (laughs) Uh, No, it's not. So some people have said they would like literally pay the tax man. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, well I would, so that's like 50 million. So, um, (laughs) right. So I would, um, I would, Buy a brownstone with a driveway and a backyard. Um, so that solve that problem. Um, <laughs> it's a little thing.
0: I, yes, with a washer and dryer.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would um, buy a little place on a very low-key beach. Um, <laughs> you have know, the best of both worlds. Um, Some place where time moves a little more slowly. Um, and I would go, I would travel to all the places that my now three-year-old asks, you know, the places that we read about in books and, Aww. Mama, will you take me to London someday? Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. so cute! Because <laughs> that's where his, uh, his soccer team is, is based, so yes, yeah, so we would go to all those places oh although London doesn't sound very exotic. Um, And then I'd fund all my families and eat, eat and um, just so that nobody ever has to worry about anything. College funds for all my nephews and that sort of stuff. And then, and then I guess the, the hard part would be, you know, figuring out how to make that money work, put it to work, you know, in terms of, of charitable causes and figure out, you know, how could we do the most good, um, with this big pot of money.
0: One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is, Oh, it's
1: so boring, but it's, you know, a cleaning person. So- <laughs> I have like that's my husband and will say, Well, do we really need that? You know, is that something Yes, yes. They yes. are not allowed to weigh in on that. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't get it. He, yeah, he's not allowed
0: to make that decision. D-
1: yeah. And I don't I don't um I think once they once the person comes, I think he he appreciates it too. Cause I just I don't know, it'll feel so much better to be coming home to a clean house when you're so busy and stressed during the day and have so many things to think about. So yeah.
0: <laughs> it's instant gratification, instant relaxation. It's an instant de-stressor. It's like getting a massage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really is. Um, it even really even is. though it just lasts like for two hours in my house, yeah, but it's still those two hours of bliss.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: As I look out and there's like Legos and dinosaurs on oh next to my office. <laughs> we even have, have a whole separate conversation about preschools. Um, yeah, yes. I uh, yeah, I'll shelf that. So, <laughs> <laughs> answer this: um, When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is,
1: um, hmm. I think I just would have started saving sooner. Um, although, you know, I, I feel like I did, I did. S- start putting money in a 401k but even even you know as soon, as soon as I got my first full-time job but but I think I would have just started saving 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 earlier mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah because big, you were but, working
0: all those jobs you had the opportunities to
1: yeah anyway yeah. so I I know and I think I don't know maybe yeah I would I would just um, I think I would just start saving or say start saving more even mm-hmm. sooner or kind of come up with a more official plan or just kind of do a, a better, um, look at, you know, my, my expenses versus my, um, what was coming in, but yeah, kind of boring.
0: <laughs> hey, boring is best sometimes when I, when I donate, let's talk about your charities. When I donate, I like to give to blank because,
1: um, I, my grandfather, I feared of Alzheimer's and and that's going to affect, and I've written about it and, you know, money management for, for people, um, you know, with, with some form of dementia, I, that's something that now is like on top of my list, um, because it's such an awful disease. Uh, it's going to impact such a, a you know, a, a huge amount of people, um, with the graying of the, of the baby boomers and, and whatnot. Um, also causes uh, to ALS, not because of the ice bucket challenge, but (laughs) for, for other reasons. Um, I just also, it's kind of another awful disease that I just feel passionately about. Um, and then last year I, um, I've also uh, uh, given to Doctors Without Borders. I think what they do is, is pretty phenomenal. Last year I wrote a, a column where I interviewed, um, a bioethicist named Peter Singer and some other, some other charity experts. And, and they convinced me that more of us should be giving to people in really far away places, um, really impoverished countries, because even a tiny amount of money goes such a long way to kind of bring these people in extreme poverty to just give them the basics. Um, so I've gone to his site, um, since then, or the life you can save, um, And, you know, they'll show you that your $5 can buy like your $50 can buy like, you know, 5 million malaria nets or mosquito nets or, you know, that's, that's a a big exaggeration, but your money goes really far, um, when you donate to causes like that. So that's something I've been trying to, to incorporate.
0: I think it's so smart when causes do that because for the donor, it really, uh, it just, it just makes you feel like your, your charitable donation is that much more meaningful because you can actually attach exactly. it to something like $25,000. You can build a school, um, exactly. through pencils of promise. I think that's phenomenal. All right. Tara, you've yeah. been amazing. Let's wrap this up with a really nice bow and okay. <laughs> have you answer this. I'm Tara Siegel Bernard. I'm so money because. Well,
1: that's hard. That's such a hard one. I think it's the most difficult one. But I, I I, work really hard at what I do. I, and, And the main reason is because I feel like it's helping people. And I hope I can help at least one person with every story that I write or, you know, help them understand something a little bit more clearly or inspire them to do something
0: well you're helping me that's right tara. you got you got <laughs> me you. tara you had me at hello um <laughs> tara siegel bernard thank you thank you thank you so much i look forward to having a coffee with you in the neighborhood soon Being here and, yes um, absolutely say hello to the gang back at the times we love them i will i will thank you That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Tara, check out the New York Times or follow her on Twitter at Tara S. Bernard. All this information, including the transcript and the comments over at somoneypodcast.com. Also, while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for the Friday Ask Farnoosh episodes. And by the way, this week only, giving away 20 free copies of Lewis House's new book, The School of Greatness. Lewis was on the podcast this Tuesday, when his book launched and to celebrate and to promote the book I'm giving away 20 free copies to enter to win hop over to somoneypodcast.com go over to Lewis's section Lewis's blog post and leave a comment tell us what you liked about the interview what you don't like a question whatever just leave a comment and show some engagement and hopefully you'll be selected I'm going to select my winners by the end of the week and send y'all some ebooks that's a wrap thanks so much for tuning in Hope your day is so money.